We're looking at the book of Revelation uh, next two or three Sundays anyway. Uh, Let's turn this morning, if you would, to chapter 17 of the book, which is something of a climax in the development of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 17, we find this very attractive but immoral woman. And we should, I think, remember that the book of Revelation was given according to chapter 1, verse 10, on the Lord's day, that the Holy Spirit on the Lord's day gave this, these unveilings, this, the figures, these images to John. And it's, uh, I think, helpful that we try to open some of these on the Lord's day. The Lord's day, when God's people gather in the Spirit to worship Him and turn our focus on Him, is the best atmosphere for understanding the book. It was given on the Lord's Day. I think it's understood on the Lord's Day. Not simply by scholarship, but in the fellowship of God's people. We can open this book and understand its truths. I find that that is best as we approach the book in this worshipful atmosphere that we have here. Keep in mind also that there is a historical background to the book. Sometimes uh, you'll, you'll hear preachers on the radio or TV and they'll read a verse from Revelation and then take off into the wild blue yonder as if there is no historical connection to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written and given from Jesus to John to seven churches in chapters 1 through 3. And those churches were going through th- some things. In fact, John, according to chapter 1, verse 9 was already in tribulation. There's already some things going on in John's day, and John was already in a tribulation of sorts, and he was a companion with others who also were in tribulation. So there is some things that are happening in John's day that I think that when you take the text and plug it into the history of its day, you can then understand its application for us. And then just one other thing before we look at this woman, and that is that the book of Revelation is, according to chapter 1, verse 1, sent and signified. It's sent and signified. This is in chapter 1, verse 1, and you can see the word sign in the word. When he sent and signified or signified, he symbolized certain things. In other words, the book of Revelation is a revealing of the invisible realm as how God views it and how we should view it. For example, the devil is invisible. And God shows him and he looks like a dragon in Revelation 20. He wants you to see what the invisible and the spiritual realm, that it's real and what it looks like, how you ought to view it. You wouldn't want to live close to a dragon, for example. So he says, look, Satan is like a dragon. Get away from it. He shows, for example, the churches are like lampstands. Do you like light in your house? Doesn't everything come to a standstill when electricity goes off? See, the church is not a curse, dear people. It's a light. It enables you to live life to the fullest and function. It's productive. It adds blessing and glory and direction to your life. So he shows you. The book of Revelation is a revealing 
of the true spiritual nature of things. That sort of figure and image you find, and let me just add this to it. The book of Revelation draws its imagery from the Old Testament. There are over 400 allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. There is no book in the New Testament that has more Old Testament references than the book of Revelation. That's why many people find the book of Revelation difficult to understand because they don't know the Old Testament. And they don't look up or trace back the images and figures from the book of Revelation into the Old to find out what they mean and how they're used. So one of these images is this woman in chapter 17. And let's read beginning in verse 3. He carried me away in the spirit to a, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, and had in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and unclean things of her immorality. On her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that she was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel, verse 7, said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her that has seven heads and ten horns. Now this woman, if you'll notice here, according to chapter 17, she's a woman sitting upon a beast. In verse 5, she is a mother, and she is also called, in verse 18, the woman you saw is the great city. She's a great city, but God wants you to see her as a harlot riding a beast. See, that's the image. That's the figure. In fact, she's called the great city in chapter 17, verse 18. She has a kingdom that's, a, that's superior to other kingdoms. Doesn't necessarily mean bigger. It just means it's better kingdom than other kingdoms. But she's called the great city, the megapolis. Now, this phrase, the great city, is used in chapter 18 and verse 10. Chapter 18, verse 10. Because the woman, the city, the harlot city is, is described in chapter 17 and 18. So look at chapter 18, verse 10. Standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city. Notice that. Woe, woe, the great city. The great city Babylon, the strong city. For in one hour your judgment has come. She's called a great city in 1718. 18, chapter 18, verse 10. Again in chapter 18 and verse 16, woe, woe to the great city. Again in chapter 18, verse 18, they were crying as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like the great city? And then again in verse 21, a strong angel took a stone like a great millstone, threw it in the sea, said, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and not be found any longer. So again and again, you have this idea of the great city And chapter 18, verse 24 says, In her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who have been slain on the earth. Notice that. The blood of prophets and saints and all who have been slain on the earth. Now, who is this great city? Remember that Revelation is an unveiling. 
that when you open the book of Revelation, you are about to see, in fact, the word apocalypsis, or from which we get apocalypse, was a common word used in John's day. Scott Hahn gives a definition of the apocalypse, the word for revelation, which is used in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ. Well, the word literally means to unveil. Yesterday, when we had the beautiful marriage, the family brings her down the aisle, usually the father. Then the father lifts the veil. It is the unveiling. An unveiling is a marriage. The father gives the bride to the groom. And the groom then for the first time is able, it's a little different today as it was then, but for the first time he he views the full features of this woman. Many of these Middle Eastern ceremonies back in John's day, if you want to know something similar to what they were like, you'd have to go to to, uh, Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia or Iran. There you see the women all veiled. Well, when these women got married, it was a seven-day ceremony. On the seventh day, the groom would take the woman into the tent, and there he would be able to view her because the father had removed her veil, and then he would take her in and see her in all her beauty and glory, if you get my drift. And so the, the question then is, who is being unveiled here? Well, certainly this uh, woman, this great city that we would see, as God would see her, but the unveiling is actually after the harlot is judged and removed from the scene. And how is she judged and removed, by the way? Well, in chapter 17 and verse 16, it says, The ten horns which you saw and the beast, these hate the harlot and make her desolate and naked, and they eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God put it in their hearts to execute his purpose, by having a common purpose, by giving their kingdom to the beast till the words of God is fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city, which had a better kingdom than the kingdoms of the earth. So this government or this beast turns on the woman and burns her up, and after she is dead and gone, then you have in chapter 19 and verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Chapter 19, verse 9, he said to me, Right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. And then one other here in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9 and 10. Who is the bride that is being unveiled here? One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of plagues came and spoke with me saying, Revelation 21, verse 9, Come here and I will show you the bride, the wife. In verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the Holy One, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now he says in chapter 21, verse 9, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, 
And then when he shows the bride to her, it's the holy city, Jerusalem. He's removed the harlot city. Now he is introducing a new covenant with the bridal city, the faithful city. She's made herself ready. She's come into covenant with God through Christ. This is the unveiling of the bride. Now, who's the old harlot city? Well, remember that phrase, how that the great city is used again and again in chapter 17, chapter 18. She's called the great city, Babylon. She's called a spiritual Babylon. That's not literal Babylon, but just like it's not a literal woman. But she's a worldly city. Well, look over at chapter 11 of Revelation, and I think you will find who that old harlot city is. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 8. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. Oh, remember that? Revelation 11, 8. The streets of the great city, the megapolis. Who is this great city? It's referred to in chapter 17 and 18. Here it is, mystically or spiritually, Sodom and Egypt. Now, not literally Sodom, spiritually. See, he's taking the veil off. He wants you to see some things as he sees them. Don't read Babylon and think, modern-day Babylon, or read Sodom and think, oh yeah, Sodom and Egypt. Spiritually Sodom, spiritually Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. Can anything be plainer than that? Where our Lord was crucified. Dear friends, there's only one spot on earth where the great city spiritually had become Sodom, spiritually had become Egypt. The great city where our Lord was crucified, had become a harlot and so was judged and burned by the beast, the Roman Empire, when they came in in 70 AD and burned her to the ground and consumed her. God had removed old Jerusalem and now the old covenant gone, he now turns to the new covenant in chapter 19, 20, 21, 22 and said, here's my true bride, the church, the new covenant, the new marriage of the new covenant period. The great city is old Jerusalem. She's a harlot. Does the Bible ever call old Jerusalem and the old covenant people harlotress? Well, there's a couple of verses. Jeremiah, speaking of Jerusalem, says in Jeremiah 22, 8, Why has the Lord done this to this great city? And they will say, Because they forsook the covenant of the Lord. There you have Jeremiah referring to Jerusalem as the great city. You have the great city being in Revelation eleven eight, the place where the Lord was crucified. And you have the great city called her again and again in history by Josephus, the Jewish historian. Now, is she ever called a harlot? Well, listen to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 21. How the faithful city has become a harlot. She who is full of justice and righteousness is now full of murderers. The faithful city has become a harlot. She's become unfaithful to her God. What city is that Isaiah one twenty one talking about? Well, Isaiah one one, the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In other words, the harlot city who rides the beast is Jerusalem 
in its old covenant last days, riding the beast, which is Rome. Rome had ten provinces. That's why it has ten, pictured it with ten horns. And so these ten provinces gathered their armies together, joined the Roman army under Vespasian and Titus, the generals, and they marched on Jerusalem, and they destroyed her, and they burned her to the ground, and they did it in one hour. Some people have said that the harlot city is Rome. But Rome was not destroyed in an hour. It was not burned. Let's go back to Revelation 17. Revelation 17 and 18. Because whoever the harlot city is, she's called the great city, which plugs it right into Jerusalem. And in chapter 17, it says that she's been turned on by the beast with its ten horns, that is, the ten Roman provinces, uh, which in chapter 17, verse 12, tells you are the ten kings or provinces who have not yet received the kingdom or authority, but they will, and they will join with the beast for one hour. That is, a single event. God turned this beast loose on this harlotrous woman. And Revelation 17, verse 16 says... The ten horns which you saw in the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, and eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Verse 17, for God put it in their hearts to execute his purpose. Rome never turned on Rome and burned her with fire. And I'm saying this for those who might have studied this to some extent. But there was a fire in Rome under Nero about 62 A.D two things. One is the fire only burned a portion of Rome. And number two, the fire came way before the book of Revelation. It only burned a portion. It certainly didn't burn all of Rome down. And it came way before the book of Revelation was written, even if you take the earliest dates. Nobody says the fire of Rome came afterwards. This fire, John said, is coming on this harlotrous city Her covenant's going to be canceled. The beast is going to turn on her that she now uses for her advantage. She's dependent on but independent of him. It's going to toss her off like a horse and turn on her and consume her. And this government is going to burn her up so that she is done. Literally, Rome burned Jerusalem, took the stones from the temple and then built the Colosseum in Rome. They took the stones of the temple and built the Colosseum. These huge stones. I've been in that Colosseum, and I've been in Jerusalem. And it's amazing to me, stones were carried all the way back and made to fit into that great Colosseum that they then used to persecute the Christians in. And the veil that was in the temple... Titus, the Roman general, took and hung in his own household and made a part of his furniture. Some have said that he put it in the temple of the gods of Rome. So the harlot city is destroyed. Now look at Revelation 18 and verse 10. Standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, Revelation 18.10, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, spiritual Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. 
This city, called the Great City, comes suddenly, totally, and in one hour, the judgment has come upon her. The Great City, which had a better kingdom than the other kingdoms of the earth. And it also says in chapter 18 and verse 21... A strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it in the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and not be found any longer. Remember this. Whatever interpretation you put in this, it has to fit this, that the city that was destroyed cannot now exist. You say, well, doesn't modern Jerusalem exist? Yes, but the Jerusalem you have today is not the Jerusalem that was in in John's day. The Jerusalem in John's day, and if, if you've been over there, you go down to these archaeological digs, and you can go down 18 feet and see pieces of old Jerusalem, ancient Jerusalem. It is buried under 20 feet of rubble. It no longer exists. And it says here in chapter 18, Her position on the beast, she was supported by Rome, that's gone. Her wealth, it says the merchants weep because all their money-making ability is gone. And then it says she will never be found any longer. And verse 22, the sound of harps and musicians and flutes and trumpeters will not be heard any longer. No craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. No the sound of a meal or heard in you any longer. Modern-day Jerusalem is built over portions of the old Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem is under the silt of 2,000 years. And you know, when they came, after Titus had destroyed Jerusalem, the old harlot city, they couldn't even tell a city had been there. Micah 3 says they, were, it, they plowed it like a ground. It became a field. It was so totally removed. Jesus in Luke 19.44 says, Not one stone will be left standing upon another. It'll be, they'll lay you even with the ground and the children who are within you. That's what Jesus said. It's amazing judgment that came. Now that the old covenant is gone and the old harlot city is gone, the temple is gone, that is a Muslim mosque built over the site of what many feel like was the old temple. It has been gone for 2,000 years. Old Jerusalem is down in here. This is all silt. And 2,000 years of civilizations built, coming and going, Arab and Jews and Great Britain. Old Jerusalem has gone forever. Now... What I want to do is to just show you that God then introduces in chapter 19. He tells you there's now a new bride. There's now a new Jerusalem. And in chapter 21 and verse 10, when he says, He showed me this this holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. He says that's the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Verse 9 and 10 of chapter 21. He says, come here, I'm going to show you the bride. He shows him the city. See, people gathered to worship was always in Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem comes down and covers the earth. People gather into the new covenant all over the earth in every place. 
When the old one is judged, the new one is introduced. Here is my new bride. And what you get is a picture. Remember, it's a revelation. People read this, uh, heaven's going to have 12 gates and it's going to have streets of gold. And Let me tell you something. Don't read that literally. Do you think that you're going to be happy with gold? Ooh, wow, I got gold. What'd you get? If money makes you happy, here's a 10. Jamie will give you a 10. See, he takes the most valuable thing the world has and says, if you really want the spiritual values that I see come into the new covenant people and enjoy your God because the old is gone, the new has come. It's gold. This is true gold. This is true gold. The people of God, the new community of faith. That's the true Jerusalem. And it's not up yonder or out yonder or coming. It is already coming down even as I speak. There are new people right here this morning who have entered into it. Now this is an introduction. Let me just tell you this about the new covenant temple, and then I want to close. I'm going to to give you four final observations. But but when you look at this temple, and you're going to find the new covenant people are pictured as a holy Jerusalem because it's a community of people. They are pictured as a, a city, and they are pictured as a garden with a river flowing out of it. I've had people say, you know, the Bible says there's going to be a river up there, and I'm going to go fishing. You know, if it makes you happy to go fishing, go fishing. But Revelation is about the unveiling. It is showing you spiritual realities. What is a garden? The Garden of Eden was where men walked with God in the cool of the day and had intimate fellowship with God until sin came in and exiled them. In the church which is a new Jerusalem, a new city and a new covenant that's now coming down You can come into the garden again. The river will flow again for you. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's the new covenant. That's the unveiling. If you read it literally, you don't need to call it a revelation of anything. And don't think that I'm saying it's not good. I'm saying it's better. That's an introduction to it. But I want to give you, in the time I have, left just in just a few minutes, Uh, three or four closing points that I think an introductory message on Revelation should bring to us. One is this. We should understand old Jerusalem as the center of the old covenant that has been judged and gone forever. There is no old covenant. They knew God through the old covenant. There was no new covenant. If you wanted to know God, you came into the old covenant. God only knew men through covenants. Now that people, Israel, is being judged because they violated the covenant. They became harlotrous. That is unfaithful to their God, their husband. The government of Rome turned on them under the image of beast, destroyed them. Now that the wife has died, the husband will marry again. Who's his bride? The new covenant people are believers in Christ Jesus. 
We should recognize that there is no old covenant, that if Jews want to know God in today's age and period, they must come to God through the new covenant, which means they'll be in the church, not in a synagogue. One man, Father Eugene Fisher, said this. He said that the Jews who stay faithful to the old covenant should be considered heroic and faithful and true even though they reject Christ. Now I say that you're trying to marry God and he's not interested when you go through another covenant or another method rather than the new covenant which God has given us in Christ Jesus. Here's a second observation. God calls us out of all false religions into the new and the true. When you read chapter 17 through 21, here's what you'll see. One has, is a harlot, this one's a legitimate wife. In other words, the new covenant, the bride of Christ, which is the church, is the legitimate people of God. All else are illegitimate. I'm not talking about Baptists, y'all understand that, don't you? I ain't saying the Baptists are the wife and all other denominations the harlot. I'm saying that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are the bride of Christ. They married him. If you want to know God, marry Christ. You'll know him. You'll be intimate with him. But he's not going to be intimate unless you marry him. Don't just come in and say, Heidi, and think of God's, oh, I know him. If you want to love him, if you want to see him naked, let him see you naked by entering a covenant first and getting the boundaries established. This is the heart of no covenant, no boundaries, just do, do what you want to be. I'm, I mean, I'm my own person. i got my own religion. Here's the wife of legitimate union. She's in the wilderness in Revelation uh, 19 to 21. This one's on the high mountain, Mount Zion, the true Mount Zion. And by the way, uh, turn over to uh, Hebrews chapter 12 real quick. When you come to worship on Sunday mornings, look at Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 18, you didn't come to a mountain, Hebrews 12, 18, that can be touched or a blazing fire and darkness and gloom. See, that's the old covenant. Or to a blast of a trumpet and sound of words. He's talking about the old covenant there. If a beast touches the mountain, it'll be stoned. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and myriads of angels... A general assembly, church of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, to God, judge of all the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, mediator of a new covenant with his sprinkled blood. I mean, do you see what you come to when you come to worship? Man, how I'd love to unpack that roll of gospel phrases. Man, you come to Mount Zion, city of God. Here is the mount. See how they used to go in the Old Covenant to the mount? Now, where, where is the Old Covenant? It's in the wilderness. Place of unbelief where they died in the wilderness because of unbelief. Here's the mount. When you come here this morning, you didn't know it, but if heaven could open up and you could see in the invisible rim, John and the Apostle Paul here wants you to see that this is the place of the true Mount Zion, the true temple. 
The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you're surrounded by angels and the mediator, the lamb which has been slain, is standing in the midst and you are touching the eternal things. Oh. So is every other church. And by the way, those of you who have lost loved ones that are now in heaven, I want you to know when you go to church and you worship God, notice verse 23 again, Hebrews 12, You've come to the general assembly. That means all the churches who trust Christ. Church of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of those who have been made perfect. You touch those who have gone before in worship. There's a holy communion of all the saints. I feel it right there. I think I just... Felt angels' wings. In the old, old Israel, old Jerusalem, the nation's hater and turn on her and destroyer. In the bridal city, the new covenant city, nations come to her and are blessed by her. She's depicted as having 12 trees of life in this Garden of Eden. We're the Garden of Eden. Here's where you come and touch God. Here's the river. In the old city, in chapter 18, verse 4, they are commanded to come out of her. In the new city, they are invited to come into her. (laughs) Come out of her. Let me look at this. Revelation 17. Chapter 18, verse 4. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. If you participate in her sins, you'll receive of her plagues. See, remember how Jesus told those in Jerusalem? He said, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, don't stay in her. Come out of her. Don't even go back to get your coat and pray that it's not on the Sabbath day. He's telling him to get out of Jerusalem. It's about to be judged by the Roman armies. Read Luke 19 for that. Come out of her, my people. And all those Christians who left, and Eusebius, a 4th century church historian, said that all the Christians, the Jewish Christians who had truly trusted Christ, before before Romans surrounded Jerusalem, that they all left by a prophecy. Not one Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. According to Eusebius, that they all left by a prophecy. Gee, wonder what prophecy that was. We're reading it. I think they'd hear some of the interpretations of Revelation today and say, what? Because, because we don't plug it into its history. And in the new Jerusalem that we looked at in Hebrews 12 and that is coming down in the process of coming down even now and touching earth even now, that he showed, he said, this is the lamb's wife, this is the bride, the wife of the lamb. That one you're invited to come into. Revelation 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride, Revelation 22, 17, say come. Let the one who hears say come. And let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life come. Let the Spirit and the Bride say come. The Spirit, that's up to the Holy Spirit to invite you. The Bride, that's us. We invite you. And whosoever will may come. So we're looking at the fact that the old has passed away. And you can now know God only through the new covenant. But you have to marry Christ. You have to come into covenant with God through Christ. 
A third thing I want to say, and I think this is applicable for us, and I'll close with this. You can see that it is God who controls nations. Do you see that? The beast, the city. Did you notice that in in Revelation 17? God put it in their hearts, these ten armies, to join up with the beast of Rome. He put it in their hearts to execute his purpose. And the woman, verse 18, you saw is the great city. He put it in their hearts. Verse 16 of chapter 17. The beast will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, neither flesh and burn her with fire. God can raise up a nation to judge another nation. As a judgment. And did you notice that when he judged her? Look at uh, chapter 18, verse 11. The merchants of the earth, chapter 18, verse 11. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn because no one buys their cargoes. Cargoes of gold and silver, precious stone and pearls. Chapter 18, verse 14. The fruit you long for is gone from you and all things that were luxurious have passed away and men no longer find them. And the merchants who became rich from her stand at a distance because of fear. Verse 15. Let me tell you something. God's judgment will ruin your economy. Anybody hear the debate the other night between John Kerry and George Bush? Anybody sick and tired of politics? <laughs> let, let me tell you, I do not represent re- Republican or Democrat. They both, frankly, on many occasions make me sick. I represent the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. But I heard John Kerry say something the other night that horrified me. He said that the kind of judges he was put on the bench... And somebody's going to put some judges on the bench this year, and I'm talking about the Supreme Court. He said the kind of judges he would put on the bench would be people who, when they make a decision, you can't tell if they're man or woman, black or white, or even Christian. Now, man or woman, fine, it's, that's sexual gender. That has nothing to do with a decision. One just made a little quicker than the others. And then race... That has nothing to do with a a decision. But when he says the kind of judge he will put is one who makes a decision, you can't tell if he's a Christian. Can you tell if the light's on? That tells me he doesn't know anything about Christianity and the call of God to the church in the world and therefore he is dangerous to this country. Don't count me a Bush fan. You think I worship George Bush? I lived in Texas 10 years. I don't even like Texas. I love Jesus Christ and I love His Word and I love His standard and I am called to proclaim to you that the church of Jesus Christ is a city set on a hill. We are to shine our light, not put that light under a bushel. And I want you to know that, brother, that if we put judges in office that bring God's judgment on this nation, there is no health care under this sun that will ever save us or help our economy. His judgment will ruin this economy.
We better not look for a litmus test. We better look to please Almighty God. Because He can destroy a nation in one hour. When those planes hit the World Trade Centers, one million people lost their jobs in three months. And that was just in two buildings collapsing. 3,000 people died and a million people lost their jobs. It hit the economy so hard. God's judgment rules the economy. And if you want to prosper, please Him. And God have mercy upon us if we put somebody into office who's going to support the killing of the unborn, the, the marriage of the perverted people of this earth, and the judges who will not see black and white and right and wrong. They will just litigate according to their whim and according to the society and according to the culture. And God will bring judgment on this nation and we will be like the harlot city. And we will be no more as a nation. I better close on that.